Worship in the World, a screen-free worship experience is brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ within our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, Lucas. Hey, Don. So I've got an important question for you. Ask away. Why is 
confession important in worship? Mm. Well, confession for me has always been one of uh, my favorite aspects of worship. Um, even growing up, um, before I really knew what I was doing, because I felt that it was a time when I could be honest, um, when I could be honest uh, with God, honest with my family, with the people sitting in church with me, and just honest about the ways that we mess up. Mm-hmm. And as someone who messes up a lot, um, it just was a really helpful way to start worship in mm-hmm. a way before we heard the sermon, before we sung many hymns. It was just a good way to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you. I think for me, um, downtown church is like a lot. It appears from the surface, if you just look out at people, um, it looks like people have their, their lives together. Like, um, and I love, yeah, it feels very honest. That word you said, it's very real. And um, it's almost like, hey, you got it all together? Nope, good, because I don't either. And, you know, we're not comparing against each other. We're just offering grace and forgiveness to each other and, and receiving it um, from God. Uh, I really love that confession um, is not meant to make you feel bad about yourself or sad or kind of let you spin into a negative space. Like, we need to be honest about what's wrong in our lives and in the world that's why we need Jesus. Uh, and at the same time, it's always coupled with the forgiveness. Yeah. It's like Jesus takes what we do wrong and flips it on its head. And yeah. I think some of the uh, the toxic aspects of what, when we do do things that are wrong, um, is we hold on to them and we, we mm. just hold on to this shame. Yes. And for, for a grudge. Yes. And confession coupled with forgiveness allows us to relinquish our shame, which is just um, not helpful. And like you think about like Jesus all throughout the Bible, he's meeting these people who have been told for so long that what they do, what they did um, is not worthy. And Jesus meets us in that space and says we are worthy Mm. and that we're not defined by our mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so confession is so important now more than ever when things are hard. Yeah. And, um, Christ meets us in that craziness. And loves us and forgives us. And that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, which is why I'm really glad that we're making space for this in um, in the podcast. So I'm going to uh, invite us into a time of prayer and silence and then um, offer some words of assurance, and maybe you can offer them right back at me. Sounds good. Let's pray. Jesus, we mess up daily maybe hourly. We mess up and we are grateful that you love us in spite of our imperfections, in spite of our pain and shame and grudges and anger. Gosh, you, God, you embrace all of that um, and you redeem it through Jesus. And so I just, I give you a lot of thanks. Uh, And so we come to you now, um, in some silence to confess the things that are weighing heavy on us and um, maybe to name the things that we're holding on to and, and feeling negative about, bad about, down on ourselves about, um, or maybe to lift up a relationship where uh, we really need you uh, to help us heal. So I'm just going to give some time for silence. Let us pray.
Beloved, you who are listening now know this to be true. The good news of Jesus is that we are forgiven. Nothing, nothing separates us from God's love for us. We get to live at peace. Lucas, you're forgiven. Don, you are forgiven. Let us go serve God and love one another. Amen. Amen. And now for Holy Interruption. Hey, Downtown Church, this is Drew Parker, the man behind the mixing board. Sorry that I haven't been keeping up with you, but I've been so slammed at work that, uh, psych! I've just been sitting at home watching everything on Netflix, and I mean, I've watched everything on Netflix. Occasionally, I do get out of the house to record videos and audio for you guys or go pick up food for the fam, but life is different now. I can tell you honestly, I'm not the biggest fan of all the changes, but I'm doing my part. I understand that some people are scared and some are not, but y'all, we have to work together. God has a plan for me and for you and with a little patience and humility, we can get through this together. I miss you guys, and I want to see you again. All of you. So be kind. Be considerate to one another. And let the grace of God steer this boat out of the storm. Until we see each other again. Au revoir. Our scripture reading today is a continuation of what Don preached on last week. We're looking together at Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus. So hear now God's word for us today. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights 
and afterwards he was famished. Then the devil took him to the holy city, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hand they will bear you up, so that you do not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nope. Don't do it. Don't do a backflip. I shouted these words to a ninth grader who had sized up the perfect cliff to show off a cool new trick. We were along Ross Lake, deep in the backcountry of North Cascades National Park, on day three of a week-long backpacking trip. Granted, our 12-person crew had been jumping off of that particular rock all afternoon, enjoying some rejuvenation after a long day of hiking. But this kid, he wanted to up the ante. He wanted to show off. He wanted to be spectacular. And the scenario in my head of him slipping and getting seriously hurt while we were hours, if not days, away from a hospital reminded me that flips and tricks are not a good idea in the backcountry. They have no use. You can call me a fun sucker, but the decision was very logical in my mind. Besides the immediate danger of it all and the unnecessary risk, the ultimate rationale was that him doing a flip did not fit into the expedition behavior that we as a group had agreed on. And expedition behavior, or EB as it's abbreviated, is a term developed originally by Paul Petzl, founder of Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School. But it's more than just an abstract theory or academic term. No, it's a set of practical behaviors an expectation for how a group embarking on an expedition should act. There are many points, but at its core, EB says that group success hinges on each individual in the group working well together. It encourages traits that will benefit the group, like positivity, service, perseverance, honest communication, owning our mistakes, and even humor. It subsequently discourages blaming, resentment, selfishness, and actions that embody big egos. It works when our individual acts, our unique gifts and talents, can be leveraged not for our own glory or fame, but for the benefit of the expedition. And so during that trek, without any backflips, I'll add, good EB was embodied when the group worked well together, looking to each other's interests. It was when the kid who had some free time on his hands went and filled up everybody's water bottle. When the group redistributed weight away from the pack of a struggling participant. And at the same time, that struggling participant dug deep and uncovered some grit that he didn't know he had. Good EB is when the designated leaders would stop every few miles on our hike to ask everyone if they were feeling any blisters. When the map reader for the day owned her mistake for leading us down the wrong trail 
and corrected it. It's the decision to not do a risky backflip off of a slippery rock, which might put the entire expedition in trouble. And truth is, good EB isn't all that exciting to observe. It isn't individually spectacular or flashy. But the devil doesn't care about expedition behavior, I don't think. He wants Jesus to be flashy. The devil wants to see Jesus jump off a cliff and fly through the air. He wants to watch angels come pick him up and see if it'll happen. I mean, that would be pretty cool. Put a flying Jesus in Vegas and he'd be booked seven days a week alongside Barry Manilow and Cirque du Soleil. But Jesus isn't an entertainer. Jesus isn't a stuntman. Jesus isn't a figure who needs cheap tricks and gimmicks to be compelling. Dutch priest Henry Nouwen writes, Jesus did not come to prove himself. He did not come to walk on hot coals, swallow fire, or put his hand in the lion's mouth to demonstrate that he had something worthwhile to say. Jesus sees through this internal temptation for the nonsense that it is, don't put God to the test, he says. Don't waste God's time for something that only serves to self-promote. Jesus could have very easily jumped and been just fine, but he didn't. It's not that Jesus isn't capable of doing so. It is that Jesus sees beyond the immediate temptations presented to him. This action, or should I say, Inaction is a critical reminder that just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. Jesus instead sees a greater narrative of redemption to which he will play a crucial part in and says no to the temptation to do something spectacular. But there's some nuance here because Jesus was and is spectacular. Yet not in the way the devil is tempting him to be. Not in the way that our culture tempts us to be. Jesus isn't a showman. Jesus isn't an Instagram influencer. His numerous miracles, his healings, and ultimately the earth-shattering event on the cross, those were spectacular. But the miracles he did involved other people. They weren't spectacular just to look at. They were spectacular because of how they transformed people's lives and built community. Even atop the cross, as he bled and died for us, he stood alongside two criminals, spoke with them, and administered pastoral care. That's spectacular. In a way, Jesus practiced expedition behavior. His expedition wasn't a week-long trip in northern Washington. No, it is the cosmic, eschatological arc of salvation, redemption, and reconciliation for all of humanity to be in right relationship with God and one another. Jesus' expedition is huge, and it involves all of us. And the truth is, we all have the ability to be spectacular. Although it might be an interesting plot for an extreme sports version of a Footloose remake, I'm not saying that backflips are a work of the devil. 
being spectacular and showcasing jaw-dropping talent are not bad or sinful things. Music is spectacular. I just watched Hamilton for the third time, I'll add, and man, that is spectacular. I love watching X Games, sports, the Olympics, any opportunity to see humans perform at the highest level. I think that doing so can and does bring glory to God. But the goal to win approval should not drive our call as Christian disciples. It should not be the way we measure our worth or value in God's kingdom. We must be reminded that when we obsess only over what we are able to do, we lose track of who we are, fearfully and wonderfully made children of God. If we let our production and our ability to earn applause define us, we will constantly be let down. And there's no room left for the endless grace that Jesus provides. And this passage speaks to me directly because Jesus is in the wilderness. Although I have never gone toe-to-toe with the devil in the desert, I have been in the wilderness. I have experienced temptations, and I have learned much about myself in the places where I experienced loss. And in the times when I realized that in the midst of uncertainty, community and community pointed towards Christ are so critically important. Jesus' intentional responses to the devil speak directly into the wilderness where we find ourselves now, to the place where things are foreign and unforgiving, where the once successful navigational tools in our pocket are proving to be less useful in this new arena of vulnerability, in our jobs, in our relationships, in our marriages. Jesus' wilderness experience of loss, of hunger, of being without speaks directly into our own lives of loss. Loss of the normalcy we loved. Of our hunger, hunger for relationships, hunger for school or concerts. Of our being without, being without seeing our grandparents. Of being without a graduation, a wedding, a birthday, a Sunday morning church service, a freaking hug. Jesus is in the wilderness with us. Wilderness represents this universal feeling of not being in complete control, and that's where we are. And Jesus is with us. And expedition behavior was built for the wilderness. EB knows that groups are stronger than individuals and that resilience, positivity, and endurance are contagious. It is here where we where our our ability to function as a community, as a church, as a world, are put to the test. And right now, they are being put to the test. And whether we like it or not, we're on an expedition. We didn't sign up. We weren't given any packing list or itinerary, but we are on a journey together. And I think it is crucial that we remember we are not alone on this journey. Last week, after our sunrise service, a church member said, man, it's just good to see other people and realize that I am not alone. As that church member said, we have each other. And as Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, 
there. I am in their midst. Christ is in our midst, walking alongside us, putting one bootstep in front of the other as we trudge along atop glorious mountaintops and through the valley of the shadow of death. And the good news is that along this expedition, Christ isn't asking us to do any backflips. He's not waiting on us to jump off of a cliff to prove our faith or see that God will catch us. Christ doesn't need us to do something spectacular. Christ just wants us. And he wants us to keep walking, to keep bearing one another's burdens, practicing a new holy form of expedition behavior where we gain a necessary acceptance of the so many things that are out of our control. And in doing so, it frees us up to spend our precious energy on what we can control. Ourselves. How we treat one another where and how we assign value, how we react when things don't go according to our fragile plans, and how we treat the most vulnerable, vulnerable among us. It was towards the end of the trip on that tough day. We had seven miles of continual uphill and the crew was tired. The kids were starting to get at each other's throats and a hot, grueling uphill climb did not help the group morale. My co-leader and I were sensing the beginnings of an absolute meltdown. And then all of a sudden, the backflip kid started singing. He was in the back of the line and his voice carried up the long line of hikers. Oh, Elena, he shouted. It wasn't so much of singing as it was yelling. Oh, Elena. His singing wasn't spectacular. Nobody clapped or cheered for him. But everyone joined in. A chorus of cracking voices echoed through the wilderness that day, and the group kept going, laughing singing together. Let's keep walking. Let's walk right past the cliff where we are tempted to jump, where we are tempted to put on some sort of show. And instead, let's practice a form of holy expedition behavior with one another. Let's speak like Jesus, act like Jesus, say no to useless self-promotion like Jesus. And remember that we don't have to be spectacular alone. The true spectacle is community in Christ. It is this messy, diverse, and imperfect group of folks called together by our wild, unexpected Savior to love God and love the world. May it be so. Amen.
Lucas, thank you for that good word. You're welcome. I needed it. I feel like I was out on an expedition with you. Like I could visualize where we were. And um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I've definitely been that person out on a bike ride or a long hike where I had to get to like a deeper... I felt like I was known when you were talking about that person whose weight in their backpack had to be redistributed. and then mm. And then they had to dig deep to find like the grit to push through. I've been there and I've also had people 
you know, come alongside me, encourage me, try to lift a burden off. Um, anyway, I'm grateful. Thank you for that sermon and that illustration. I'm usually the one who leads the people down the wrong path and has to to apologize. (laughs) Um, my, especially when my map reading reading skills weren't as good. Um, so we Mm. all find our roles in that expedition of life that we are on. So, and I'm grateful. I'm really grateful for the people who, uh, start singing, you know, mm-hmm. or cracking a joke and um, making it enjoyable, whatever it is, um, because life is short. Sometimes we got to hold on to the humor and the love. Um, so tell me what you're praying about. I think I said it last week, but just all the families and students and teachers right now. And, mm-hmm. I, and I was thinking about all these people in the world and when I was writing the sermon that I feel this pressure to do something spectacular that feel this pressure that they have to just do like amaze people with what they're doing, whether it's be a teacher or student, a parent, like, um, and just the amount of pressure we put on ourselves. So just praying that people know that they are enough and that, um, it's a tough time, uh, praying for those all across the world who are suffering, who just, there's, there's so many, so much crying in the world in terms of people who are hungry, people who are living in um, places where it's not safe, where they're not valued for who they are. Mm-hmm. And so just praying for the world, praying yeah. for downtown church, for Columbia. Um, yeah, lots of prayers going on. Yeah. What about you? Yes, <laughs> all those <laughs> things. And, and I'm also aware that we're grieving. I'm grieving. Um, and, you know, loss can take lots of different shapes and forms. And, um, you know, there are things that we all count on on a daily basis or look forward to, you know, like football, for example. Mm-hmm. There are things that we, we really make life enjoyable and fun and good. And um, so just the, the grieving and then the capacity or potential for more grieving, I just, um, I don't know about you, I'm just kind of tired of grieving. I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. just uh, ready to celebrate and love and being community. And so anyway, just praying, praying for God to help me through that. And sometimes it's hard for me too, because I feel that the things that I'm grieving aren't worth grieving about, mm-hmm. um, especially compared to what people in different circumstances are dealing with. But I think it is true that we are all are, mm-hmm. um, we're sad about the things that we're missing mm-hmm. out on, the normalcy, the, um, the yeah. traditions, the things that bring us joy. Milestones. Yeah. Yeah. I will say one of my mentors um, gave me some really good advice uh, at one point and just said, hey, Don, you're always comparing your suffering. And in some ways we call it like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, don't, I can make it through the day because I have this perspective of how somebody else is hurting. And, and I do think there's a role for that. And at the same time, I, I think Jesus guards against a hierarchy of suffering, you mm-hmm. know, and that it's okay to just claim that life's hard right now and that's painful. And, um, because sometimes when we compare or try to say, put it in, in perspective, if you will, um, it lessens, uh, we can't be honest about the pain that we feel. So anyway, I offer that just maybe if it's helpful, it was helpful to me. No, that's great wisdom. I think the whole hierarchy of suffering is, a um, a really, so, yeah, suffering is, it exists. And, you know, I think Jesus alleviates it and calls us to do what we can to alleviate it for one another and and yet there's only so much we can do so on that note let's pray sounds good 
Jesus, we come to you today very aware of our need for you, for you to um, come close, to wrap your loving arms around us, to send your light to the deepest parts of our being hungry for you. God, I pray that as schools start up and um, as a new, a new season begins, that you would provide energy and love and compassion and excitement and new ideas, innovation, uh, and that we, your people, would continue to care for one another. As Lucas says in his sermon, to look outside of ourselves, to see, you know, who can we encourage along? Who can we pray for? Who can we help with the resources and the, the, the capacity and the gifts that you've given us? So God, be near. Be near to us, all of us who are suffering, and help us to follow so closely in, in your footsteps, Jesus. We need you now more than ever. Amen.
And now for the benediction. God's got us, and God's got you. So as you go, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the interruption of that Holy Spirit may it be with you, and with all those you love, and with all those nobody loves. Go in God's peace. A special thanks to our technical team and artists of all forms. Musical composition brought to you by Sean Thompson. Audio mastery by Drew Parker. The Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan, sung by Cody Hoover and Rebecca McCoy-Smith. Shake the World by May Earlwine, Gloria Patry by Steady Hymns, and Near the Cross by Fanny Crosby, brought to life by Lindsay Blair Simmons. Scripture quoted from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and Theological Musings and Prayers, brought to you by Lucas Jones and Dawn Hyde. it on its Mm -hmm. head and i think when we do do these things um in our life that are do do (laughs) (laughs) keep going (laughs) and um (laughs)